When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep, and welcome back to Talking Knicks. Uh, you're listening today, March 11th, or another day after that. That's when it's coming out. I am joined by Kenneth Poon, Tom Piccolo. We're going to talk some Knicks, and we're a little scared. We, we want to bring as much happiness and as excitement as we can. When the biggest Knicks highlight this week is someone yelling at the owner leaving the arena, that's when you know it's March basketball in Knicks Nation. So, hey, Tommy, Ken, let's talk Knicks. Post and toast, and then stuffing again, igniting and exciting the guard crowd. Give me something, man, like a doodle who likes that. Fellas, how we doing? I'm Jake Storielli. Thanks for joining us. If you're tuning in, we appreciate you. Go leave a review right quick. Just do it. Don't even think. Five stars, right? We love James Dolan. And that's the end of the podcast. That's all we really have. This was fun. This was fun. I I like getting the plug out of the way early, though. Like, right? We're still listening at this point. By the time we ask for it at the end, no one's listening. Right. When I when we're going when we're we're going through. So now they're not going to listen to what else. Ah, we blew it. Yeah, hour, hour 14 when we're talking about Luke Cornett's game log. That's when we usually lose them. And I, I, was, I had a good giggle before. Because you're right, we, we talked about this a little bit. It's tough to talk about Knicks games, which is sad, A. I had a good laugh to myself because I was like, what if we just went full satire and went the full show like defending James Dolan? Like, I, I, I think that would be like a headline grab. I, I mean, I'm kind of hot takey on this, but I am not complete. I mean, I'm not completely against Dolan. Wow. Mostly, but like, should we get this this out of the way now? I have a spiel. Okay, let's hit. Yeah. Hey, Ken, how you doing? Let's hear your Dolan spiel. So my whole thing is, yes, it's bad for the team. Yes, Dolan should have just ignored him. But like, professional sports is the only you know, business where you could go into company's place of work, heckle the CEO, and then have people on Reddit being like, what the hell is that about? He got kicked out. And I understand that that's like kind of part of the game, but a part of me also feels like I get really annoyed when people go overboard um, heckling the players and the players aren't allowed to do anything. But here that it is the owner who can do whatever he wants and the guy kicked him out. So like, Part of it is me, you know, seeing retribution for people heckling people they shouldn't be heckling. And the other part of me is, like, they're both in the wrong, and this guy's not getting any of the blame. Like, nothing Dolan did was good, but this guy also shouldn't be, like, cheered for what he did. Oh, couple things before I kick it to you, Tom. A, you guys never saw me at my last place of work talk to the CEO because I used to do the same stuff. And B, Kenny, in sports, you were pretty good at leaning into the villain role. You've currently done that with our fans. Tommy. Yeah, my weekend was good, you know. Uh, <laughs> solid weekend. Now, I guess I have a couple of things I want to push back on, Kenny. Most of all, just like basketball or, or professional sports in general aren't like the regular workplace. Like this is entertainment. It is a James Dolan is a public person. And, you know, if you go to a concert or if you go to, like, a political rally, audiences will voice their displeasure if they have it. And that's that's perfectly reasonable. Like, these these public figures know what they're signing up for. And part of it is criticism. Like, yes, James Dolan is allowed to do what he wants here. There's no question about that. But it's just how it looks, how it looks from the outside for other people looking at the Knicks organization, like, James Dolan's not, not, not the James Dolan's not the first owner to be criticized by a fan base, and just reacting this way looks very petty. It looks very immature. Like he can't handle criticism. Like he's very thin-skinned. Um, again, 
he's the owner can he can do what he wants but it's just not a good look you're not pushing it back against anything i said because i agreed with that i said it's a bad look he shouldn't have done it but like he can do it and no one no one is saying that that guy shouldn't have done what he did no but you justified it a little by by making that parallel with normal workplaces and i don't think that really stands in the in the public sphere like this wow and part of it is like i have just the tiniest bit of sympathy towards dolan on the basketball front because for the last five years he did he's been doing what people wanted him to do which is staying out of basketball completely he hired executives and stuff and they handle everything and that's what people wanted him to do but people are just going back to this old tired joke like they don't know what's going on so it's like oh fire dolan get rid of dolan it's like after a while i can see him getting bored of this again not the right move by him but i'm sure he hears it all the time and eventually just smacked. well my satire has gone way too far no death taxes and the knicks fans will hate james dolan even if the miracle happens Durant and everyone comes to town i'm sure if the knicks won a title the first article printed would be knicks win the title in spite of james dolan and just for our fans listening like we know james dolan hasn't done like everything right over the last five years you know two years ago he kicked charles oakley out of madison square garden and purely basketball outside of basketball he has done a lot a lot of things wrong that make you question whether he's the right person to be in charge of his company but purely on the basketball standpoint managing the team that's all i'm talking about all right well i'll tell you what james dolan End of the day, shouldn't care if you uh, if you checked his bank account and if you saw a couple of those people that were accompanying him courtside at the game. But enough of Mr. Dolan, and maybe he'll do some nice things coming up. Maybe he'll say, yo, Kevin Durant, when you're done with basketball, maybe we can talk. That would be nice. But enough of that, and now I am excited to talk Knicks basketball, which is scary. Boys, we're, we're in the thick of it again. We are currently in a five-game losing streak, which will be six after tonight's game, which, Tom, let's start there. I'll let you lead into the people. What have you seen on the basketball court tonight between the New York Knicks and the Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, so as we're taping this, it is there's a, a minute, 30 seconds left in the third quarter. The Knicks are down by 17 to a Timberwolves team that is playing – Without Andrew Wiggins, without Carl Anthony Towns, I know some would argue that Andrew Wiggins is uh, his absence is addition by subtraction, as, as Kenny and Greg would say. But um, you know, this game in general has just been a really pathetic showing. It is the second game of a back-to-back. It's daylight savings time, so maybe they're. <laughs> I don't know. I'm messed up from that. I don't know if the Knicks players are, but in general, the the, the defense looks pretty rough. The, the offense looks even worse. No one, I mean, Dotson's looked good. He came out strong in the first quarter, put up 13 points. His shot was working. Um, but other than that, the, the point guard play has been bad. Dennis Jr.'s hasn't really done much. Uh, Moutier's been just atrocious. And, yeah, it's going to be another loss, like you said. Kenny, it's, it's been a little while since I think we've, we've talked some Knicks together. And I think one of the few bright spots has been your boy, Dame Dot. You you want to talk about him a little bit? You want to say you had it first? I'll give you credit. I first. I, okay. I can guarantee you that. You guys can go go listen to our PPP from last year, and I was hyping up Dame Dot. Um, but I don't know. I've been I've been saying it for a while about a few different people, but Dame Dot is one of the guys on our team who, regardless of what happens. Like, hopefully we get Kyrie, we get Durant, something like that happens. He fits in into that team. Um, and I've, I've talked about how, you know, Alonzo Trier doesn't necessarily fit that. Um, Knox, his role is going to be very different in a team like that. But Dotson can keep doing what he's doing, playing, you know, solid on-ball defense. I know Tom, Tom has mentioned that his off-ball defense isn't great. Um, and hitting – jump shots and i i don't i don't have the stats to back this up but i feel like lately he's been shooting it better than he was at the beginning of the season um tom i'm sure will correct me if that's not the case and those are valuable skills for you know the fourth fifth sixth option on a team um just as far as spacing the floor and you know 
taking some of the load off of the star players on both the offensive and defensive end. And he's one of the few guys on this team that, that will just easily fit into that role, which I'm excited about. Tom. Oh, um, yeah, there you go, Ken. That's, that's what, that's what I've been waiting for you to get off your chest about Dame Todd. I think, uh, he's, when he looks, when he's right, he looks really good. Like he hits the tough shots. It's not just like, you know, uh, we're playing the Knicks tonight. We left Dame dot open. Like he, he, he goes eye hole on people. Sometimes he's been a bright spot. What, what other games do we have? This Okay. Oh, sorry. I was going to say he is, he has been just crazy streaky though. Like even within games, he's had just ridiculous first quarters, solid second quarters, and then scored two points in the second half. And I think that's happened a couple of times. So hopefully he can, you know, steady it out and do it throughout the course of the game. Or maybe, you know, that's that's enough to help a team is have a couple of good quarters here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake, uh, to answer a question or to to anticipate where we're going, this week we played two games against the Kings, one in Sacramento and one at MSG. And then sandwiched in between there was a game at Phoenix against the Suns. Um, all three, all three of those were losses. Yes. Um, and Tom, I, I was thinking, um, I was thinking something that you were tweeting about and you're, uh, you're, as I told you before this show, you are in the great game of Nick's Twitter now. Um, I'm going for it, man. I'm all in here. We had a couple Kings matchups this week and you talked a little bit about Dennis Smith Jr. and De'Aaron Fox. And I wanted to talk about, um, I mean, what you saw from Dennis Smith Jr. in those games, I, I guess a little bit also what De'Aaron Fox did to him in those games, but uh, kind of a, a little budding rivalry of the young point guards. Yeah, I think during the broadcast, they, they mentioned it a couple of different times how the two point guards were, I don't know if they were friends, but they're at least acquaintances going all the way back to, I want to say middle school or, or like ninth grade or something like that. Um, they were just introduced at a young age, whether it's the AAU circuit or what have you. And, and they're just two kind of similar like-minded players and that they're both freakishly athletic, both so fast with the ball and, uh, and kind of aggressive uh, scoring guards. So you can just tell that Dennis Smith Jr. gets up for these games. His, his effort level in, in both games to start was just so much higher than it is uh, in, in other ones. In that first Sacramento game, he really didn't even pace himself at all. At the end of the first quarter, he was completely gassed. I remember even uh, the announcers talking about it, being like, look how tired Dennis Smith Jr. looks. He was just going all out, trying to show up his uh, his rival there. And uh, and in the second game, too, he, he even on defense, you could tell he's just taking more pride in what he was doing. He was really trying to lock down Fox. I think Fox dropped 30 in that game, but you know, not entirely all on Dennis Smith Jr. And... Um, it's either way. It's just encouraging to see that kind of level of effort from from Dennis Smith Jr. And where are you at with DSJ? I uh, I was one of the vocal people against drafting him, just because the Knicks. And I'll still stand by this to this day is that he refused to give the Knicks medical records, so um, I felt it was in their best interest not to draft him. But you know what I've seen lately, and I think. Tom might have talked about this on, on Lockdown Knicks this week, is he's been very good at getting to the rim and a much better, um, more willing passer than I would have anticipated, which I'm excited to see because, you know, we, we joked about it earlier in the year. That we'd go through stretches where the leading assist man had three or four assists, and uh, DSJ is regularly getting over that. The one thing is, like, that I'm not sure whether I'm going to love it or hate it is he's just a psycho and he gets into it with a lot of people. Um, there was a thing with Ben Simmons. Um, there was a thing with Bielitsa where he got attacked in a very inopportune time. Um, but if he can harness that a little better and, you know, pick his spots to be a psycho, I think Nick's fans are really going to like what he's about as far as, you know, the grittiness and the toughness and just not taking any, any stuff from anyone, uh, which you know, that's that's what New York people love, man. That's what the, yeah. what the fans want to see. 
he is super competitive and you like to see that edge. You, you see it in other guys too. You see it in, in guys like Trier. Um, you see it a little bit in Mitchell Robinson. Some guys you really don't see it in. I, I don't think that, that Knox has really shown that next level of competitiveness. I don't think that Moutier has that in him. Um, but yeah, like Desmond Jr. kind of toes the line between super competitive and head case. I agree with Kenny there. Yeah, and, and like there's – I think Zoe is a lot more controlled in his competitiveness. There are times when DSJ just looks like he wants to fight people, which I'm cool with. Yeah, super, super competitive in head case. That's, uh, that's me with the Halo ice cream late at night. Um, what? What kind of wood was that? Um, and, Ken, I could listen to you say – how do you say Belicia? Bielitsa. Bielitsa. I could listen. We should just do the whole pod where we just practice saying that all day. It's that's that's one of the more fun names in the league. Um, that's fun to say. Yeah, the the Dennis Smith Jr. thing is interesting, right? Because I mean, what are what are we fully going to take away from this sample? By the end of the day, it's going to be what like thirty games around there. Um, and so he's playing similar minutes to what he was doing in Dallas. And and one of the things when I started talking myself into Dennis Smith Jr. when I saw he was coming in the trade was that he improved, which, I mean, is kind of – that's what I'm looking for in, in young players. Really hot take there, Jake. Um, but it, from his rookie season to his first 32 games with Dallas this year, he was taking less shots and he was hitting them uh, at a much higher clip. He, went for, he shot 39.5% from the field last year. He was shooting 44% in Dallas. He shot uh, 31% from three in Dallas. De- his rookie year. And then he shot 34% with Dallas um, in those 32 games. So I, I saw improvement and he was, he was getting to the line. He was being more efficient uh, in a tight time period, which definitely had to be a focus for him because those, his rookie year numbers are, I mean, what you'd expect from a rookie point guard. Um, But since he's come over to the Knicks and I mean, I don't know if we want to talk coaching or system or, And he gets thrown into this ragtag bunch of players, to be completely honest. And we haven't seen that efficiency yet. So, I mean, what can we actually take from him from the sample size? Do we say, hey, we love his intensity. We we hope he works on it and we see that next year. And he comes back and he knows the offense. He knows the system. Whoever's around him is going to be better. He should be a better player. Or... I mean, should we not be happy with the Dennis Smith we've we've gotten back so far? Man, the hardest part about talking Knicks right now is <laughs> the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just the complete uncertainty of what next year's team is going to be because Kyrie Irving can come over, and then Dennis Smith Jr. is kind of in that uh, that Reggie Jackson for Oklahoma City role. I think I may have mentioned that on yeah. uh, on a podcast. Locked on Knicks. On Locked On, like in that uh that Dennis Schroeder type role. And that's you know, that's a good valuable role too. You need a third guard who can who can lead a, a bench unit and still be able to to create offense and, and be dynamic. So Moody yeah. is out is what you're saying. Did you say oh, Moody? Moody is out. Yeah. If <laughs> if there's Don't get a Tom going on Moody. No, Moody's gotta go. He's got like this this game tonight, just this the first quarter when he got in, beginning of the second quarter, he looked like he wanted nothing to do with the game of basketball. Just some of these passes he was making, it's pathetic. It was straight up pathetic. Like at least Desmond Jr. does have that that wildly competitive side, and his energy, his effort does does sort of go up and down too, especially on defense. Desmond Jr. will get completely lost, but I feel like he takes some pride on ball. Like he doesn't like to get posted up by bigger guards. Moutier doesn't seem to really care about much, it seems like. <laughs> um, that's my my pop psychology there. But Desmond Jr., since coming over, Jake, he has been really inefficient, uh, especially when you look at – so he's averaged 15 points, six assists in 15 games. But he's only shooting 42% from the field, 29% from three on about four attempts per game. And, and, the, and this is the worst part is he's only hitting 58% of his free throws, four attempts a game. Like that's not a tiny sample. 15 games played, you can't be 
shooting 58% from, from the free throw line. And he struggled at, uh, from the free throw line, I think in college and certainly in his rookie year as well. So that's a very worrisome trend that, that hasn't seemed to improve year over year. Um, but to answer your question, Jake, if, if the Knicks don't get a, a high profile point guard, then Dennis Smith Jr. can be an adequate starting point guard solution for next year. And if, and if they do get Kyrie, I'd still like him coming off the bench, I think. Yeah, and I think the you you touched on a big thing that I think is makes what makes this whole makes this whole thing difficult is we have no idea what is going to happen, and this team could go in a few very different directions. So it's really hard to project like what people's roles are, because like you said, if no one comes, you know we're gonna roll DSJ out there and see what he is. If a few people come, like. Maybe DSJ is the backup. Maybe they try to trade him to to get a more established player. We just don't know, and like it very much depends on what happens this summer. But that's what I was saying about Dotson earlier. Is he's a guy that you know, regardless of what happens, he has a solid role on this team as you know, a guy who can hit hit an open three and play a little bit of defense. Yeah, we uh, we could use any guy that does that. Even even Luke Cornett impressed us a couple games. Um, Guys, it's I, as we talked about, it's this part of the Knicks season where the, the basketball is kind of tough to watch. Um, so we're, we've been looking at these young guys to, to try to find some of the positive things. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson, um, he's he's been doing some incredible things that have only happened <laughs> with rookie big men a few times in basketball. So we're getting excited about him. I want to we, we can get back to him and I, I think we can even do some Zoe. Um, I want to get this kind of out of the way because it was it was uh was it an article that was circulating today that that we were talking about in the Knicks chat there that Kevin Knox is starting to have some of his numbers look very non-impressive. I I, I think I, I didn't read the article. Did did you, Kenneth? I did not. But Greg okay. Greg yeah. Greg mentioned synopsis that uh, Kevin Knox was the second best player ever or this year. Did you say second best? Second worst, sorry. Oh, okay. I don't know what I said, yeah. but I meant second worst. And I know uh, Posting and Toasting from SB Nation put out an article. It was uh, Drew Steele. He, he wrote an article that was titled, Kevin Knox has been historically bad. Here's the stats to prove it. And he basically just goes through every stat imaginable and just shows how how historically bad he's been. It's a it's about fifteen hundred words of just torching Knox's season. It's a really depressing read if if you're into that sort of thing, um, and it, and it actually got me thinking because it was the, the question was posed on Twitter: Is Kevin Knox being used correctly? Is he being deployed correctly by Fizdale or used in the offense correctly? And it's a really difficult question to answer. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. Do you think that Fizdale has any blame in Knox's struggles this season, uh, particularly recently? Want me to? I'll jump in um, and say first what Greg sent us. Interjection: What Greg sent us is that of all the players in at least 1,600 minutes in the three-point era, Kevin Knox is the second worst BPM at negative 6.4. And that's box plus minus. I don't know if that's adjusted for anything, or I really don't know what those all-encompassing stats take into account. But it's a statistic. It's a statistic. Yeah, I don't. I don't read too much into it. And uh, I think you guys. Talked about it on um, Nick Phil School. Both of you mm. jumped on there for those listeners of ours who don't know that. Um, that there really isn't much of an offense. Um, there's been a little bit more lately. And I know that, uh, you know, part of it early in the season was Fizz saying that they don't really have, you know, the guys are younger and they, they need to really simplify everything for them to be able to understand what's going on. Um but that being said, you know, I'll place a little blame on on uh, Fizdale as far as, you know, not coming up with ways to get these guys easier shots because it seems like Knox is creating his own shot. Ooh, I don't know. I'm watching the game, and Mitch just had a really nice tip slam. Um, but I've been watching – but there hasn't been a lot of easy buckets for for Kevin Knox, you know, in the half court. I know – I know – I don't remember which time – which podcast it was, Tom, but you were talking about 
he was doing a lot more in transition earlier this season, and that's kind of faded off. But I don't remember any plays for him in the half court that just ended up with him getting an easy, easy shot. Um, there's, I mean, there's a, a decent amount of drive and kick that might end up in an open three, but nothing, nothing's being created for him, you know, going to the rim and getting something easy. And that part I can blame on Fizz, but um, part of me is just, and there's also the fatigue factor. The part of me just thinks, you know, he'll be fine over the long term. Throw him out there, let him get his legs under him, and let him let him get as many shots up as he wants. Because what are we playing for at this point? I think I think I have a cold take, Tom. Um, I think a lot of what Ken said was right. I mean, I I wouldn't say there's been you know we you can't look at Fizdale and be like yo expert level coaching job this year. <laughs> um, I I we haven't seen Knox put in a a ton of spots where you're like, wow, that, that was beautiful. We're, we're hooking him up. No, we're seeing those weird floaters. He takes, we see the flashes sometimes. Um, I'll, I'll say this, and this is my cold take. If the Knicks start going, when we were early in this season and we were seeing some of the good stuff Kevin Knox could do, I was like, all right, let's, let's watch this young man percolate. Let's bring in KD to town They'll take him under his wing. He's 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 the future. I'm I mean, I don't know if it's the whiplash from the Porzingis trade, but if there's a move to be made and Kevin Knox is involved, I feel like I'm at the point where I won't feel hurt. Like, like there there was a while there when everyone was talking about like if we get one of the, you know, the one or two pick and we package the one pick, the two pick, or what, wherever it falls, and we package that with Noxie. Like, there was a time period where I was like, ah, I mean, I, I'd be a little hesitant, or I'd be like, yo, Kevin Knox can burn us. At this point, if there's something that has to be done that, you know, helps bring in this free agent team or whatever it's going to be, I, I think I'm on the pull the trigger. I mean, we've seen the flashes, and you can't just go off of box plus minus when he's clearly on one of the worst teams in the league, which is trying to tank. But the flashes kind of haven't been enough for me. And I, I don't know. Maybe I went from cold take to hot take there, Tom. I mean, one, one thing there is there's obviously still a chance that he can be a very productive NBA player, which we all acknowledge. He's only 19 years old, like five years from now, five NBA seasons in, he'll be 24. Like it's still very young. It's, I mean, how old is Trier? Is he 23? Like, uh, I, I think Trier is 23 years old. So, like, Knox will be in the season in the league four years before he's Trier's age, which is wild. Um, so there's plenty of time and room for development for Knox, but he's just starting from such a bad place. Uh, I guess one thing to address that Kenny said was it being kind of Fisdale's fault that. Knox doesn't get a lot of easy buckets, and that's that's definitely partly true. Uh, he does not get a lot going towards the rim. I, I'd like to see him run even more pick and roll. Um, but the other issue is that Knox is really a terrible off-ball cutter in that he just doesn't do it, and and when he does, he does not go full speed. I was watching him in the first quarter of this Timberwolves game. He had an opportunity for a baseline cut. And I don't know if it, I don't think it was Lance Thomas. Someone threw a pass kind of ahead of him, expecting Knox to really sprint on the cut, and Knox jogged through it and you know barely caught the pass and had to like throw it when he was falling out of bounds. It's just like, man, if you gave it your all, you could have had a layup there. But Knox just doesn't seem to really do that or, or be interested in cutting off ball all that much. And that's a bad. That's obviously a bad instinct to have. You, you you can learn that over time, but that's also something that you should just kind of have instincts for, right? That's like, right. we've all played basketball. Like, you should know when to cut, when to cut hard, and he doesn't seem to really know that or get that. And, I mean, I'll say I was never particularly high on Max, and I'm, I feel like I argue against uh, against the – you know, masses generally, because I, I think we're all too reactionary and everything. So like when, when people are, are selling on Knox, I think he's going to be fine. Um, like we said, he's 19 years old. He's a rookie. He's shown, and Jake said the flashes haven't been enough. Like he's shown enough flashes that I think it's just about getting his legs under the, under him, you know, understanding this league, understanding how 
how to play in this league and, you know, becoming more efficient over time, I think he's going to be fine. I don't know that he's ever going to be a star, but I think he's, he'll be fine. And uh, I, we almost went an entire podcast without mentioning it, but it, I feel the same way about Frank. And I know you guys might not be as high on that train as me, but I think he's going to be, you know, I, and I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but he, I think he's going to be a valuable piece on an NBA roster. And, you know, at some point, not everyone can be a star. You just need people to fill out the, the roster and play their roles. And like I was saying before, I think Dotson's one of the guys that can do that. I think Frank's one of the guys that can do that. Knox, I'm just not sure about in that role, uh, just because he's such a high-volume shooter. And if you, you're getting a lot of other players on the court with him, I don't know that that's going to be his game. But we haven't seen him in that spot, so it's hard to say. Like If, he, if he's still on the team and Kyrie and Kevin Durant are on the team, we're going to get the opportunity to see if he can play off ball and he can become, you know, the tertiary scorer behind those two and maybe, you know, become a little more efficient with a little of the pressure off. And we just haven't had the opportunity to see that because he's on a terrible team and, you know, he's the number one option right now offensively. And, you know, end of his rookie year has played more minutes than he did last year uh, in Kentucky. And it's just, it hasn't looked pretty, but like I said, it's early and I think he's going to be fine in time. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's a couple numbers that have to concern you. It's I'm, you can go glass half full glass half empty on Knox pretty quickly. I mean, shooting 36% from the field, but he is shooting 33% from three on 4.7 attempts. We didn't know how much of that was going to translate to college. So, I mean, you can, you can live in this world where, yeah, we've seen the flashes. His athleticism has surprised us at the start of the year. He's shooting the three better than we thought. The two-point shots, uh, definitely rookie stuff. Um, to what degree, we don't know yet. And, I mean, there is a chance that Kevin Knox comes back next year, again, as a 20-year-old. And if he shows growth in his game from A to B, again, you can start doing the math Tom did there, where it's like, this guy's so young. Um, you know, he, he can get back to, to blow the world away. Blow the world away, that old phrase that you always hear. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's uh it's 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 going to be interesting to watch and I think uh something else more, most importantly Alonzo Trier is 23 and has the same birthday as you Kenny. How about that? Kenny you Kenny's older than 23 though. Yeah, I wish I was still 23. Yeah, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. Speaking of someone who's both and I don't know. I I think <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for you, Tom, but I think we want to stay away from Frank today. Um, we we t we did talk about him on the other pods. We we don't have a ton of good stuff to say about him right now. We just want to see him out there. I and just I want do to see like, him play. I just want to yeah. see him play. I I do like Kenny with, Ken, with DSJ, Ken, man. Kenny's spin is accurate, though. I mean, there there is a world, and uh, so relating that to what we said with Knox, you're right. If we bring in these stars. There's this world where Kevin Knox doesn't fit in. He's not getting his shots. He's kind of uncomfortable. I mean, there's also a world where KD takes him under his shoulder and tries to make him, you know, next, uh, which that would be cool. Um, for Frank, you're right. He His jack-of-all-trades, what we think he can do on a given night, play defense, keep the ball moving, um, that kind of player absolutely has uh, a better chance on – on what that team would be. But I, I think we'll save some of the Frank stuff, hopefully for when he's playing. And I, I think let's let's end, end kind of with a high note and talk about Henry Ellenson. No, um, <laughs> let's let's talk about Mitch, Rob, the big man. Um, it's Nick's nation is coming around. He got that Mercedes-Benz money, right? Yeah. Like nice was the first basketball player or something like that, or first New York basketball player? That's a uh, man being a uh, being 20 years old and getting sponsored by Nike and Mercedes Benz. Hey, hey, Ke Kevin Durant, come to New York, buddy. <laughs> um, but uh, Mitchell Robinson and I, 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 I'm sorry, I I started laughing there because it's his current stat line for 50 games is seven points and five rebounds, which <laughs> not exactly the world beater stats you think of. How many blocks though? 
two and a half blocks. And this is, this is over the whole season. And we've clearly seen um, a development of Mitchell Robinson. I mean, uh, Tom, you and I have, have went through some of the game logs and it's, I mean, even I'll just start from when he came back from injury. So this is a uh, 22 games. Now he came back from injury also on January 17th. Holy smokes, people. That's how you do a podcast. Um, since then, my man is averaging nine and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, three blocks, shooting 73% from the field. Um, Tommy, I'll, I'll give it to you first. Uh, what, what can we say about Mitch Rob right now? I think the obvious thing to start with is on the defensive end, the block shots, the, the, the records he's, you know, being a, a part of or like he's he's kind of chasing for the the rookie blocks record most consecutive to Kenny what's the stat I know you've been dying to say it I mean I don't know what he's at now I don't think he's gonna catch it I don't think there's enough games left Um, but it's the most consecutive games with two plus blocks as a rookie Um, he was behind Alonzo Mourning David Robinson and Shaquille O'Neal I think the top is like 25 and I think he's currently at 14 so maybe maybe you could catch it they have 16 to play or something like that okay this is all off the top of my head i don't i don't have the stats in front of me but no, i think, we, I we, think we the top of those guys was, was uh 25 hey that's something the it's a reason for the season to keep going but look mitchell robinson he's a he's an excellent shot blocker i think he'll definitely need to pick and choose his his spots for for blocking shots a little more he he really does still jump at, at too many pump fakes. He's gotten better, no question. But I was going through a bunch of his tape the other day trying to figure out something to write about, and he I, I was trying to show that he still stays down or that he's beginning to stay down on more shot fakes, and I was still coming up with a bunch of just wild <laughs> block attempts that, that didn't come of anything. So he still has to get better there. Also, when he tries to block shots, he gets out of position for defensive rebounds. But I wrote in my last column for Bebo Index that he's gotten just a lot better at defensive rebounding since the beginning of the season. He was one of the worst defensive rebounding centers in the league at the beginning of the year, um, which is such a crucial skill for a center to have. If you're going to be like an unskilled center out there who can't make plays for his teammates or shoot threes, you better be able to end defensive possessions with a rebound. And, and he's gotten really literally twice as good at it as the seasons progress. So that's, that's really encouraging. Yeah, and we we love the DeAndre Jordan effect. Uh, we we love that he's in the house uh, talking and tell, telling him what to do out there a little bit. DeAndre is a good player for Mitchell to form his game around, and you know he can. From what we've seen, he's kind of I won't say a better shooter than DeAndre, but from the free throw line and stuff, which which that stuff can matter over time. And Kenny, I kind of want to spin it to you because Tom, I I forget, I think it was Dennis Smith Jr that had a drive where he uh, he kind of hezied the lob, I believe. Am I remembering the play right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you're going through my tweets again? Sorry, mm-hmm. dude. Um, but uh, you, I, I thought it was, it was perfectly said, and that's why I won't let you talk about it. But you showed that Dennis Smith Jr. kind of faked the lob, and they had the fear of the lob, which gave him a better ch- attempt at a layup that he, he completed. And uh, you know, Kenny, you're 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 a guy. I've seen you handle the rock a little bit. You know, you know to feed the big man when they're hungry. But I, I want you to talk about a little bit of the effect of Mitchell Robinson on offense. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't talk about this ahead of time at all. But I I was thinking about this um, the other day as I was listening to Lockdown Knicks with Tom Piccolo. Um, but I was trying to figure out why is it different to have you know a guy rolling to the rim like Mitchell Robinson as opposed to a guy, you know, planting at the rim like Enos Cantor. Because, you know, it's, it's widely considered that Enos Cantor is going to, you know, make it more difficult to drive to the rim, whereas a guy like Mitchell Robinson makes it easier. Um, and what I came up with is I think it's just the post game is it takes time. You know, it takes a move or two. So it gives people a time to recover, whereas what Mitchell Robinson does, it's either you get a layup immediately in a two-on-one situation after the first guy is beat, or 
the lob goes up and you get a dunk immediately. And, you know, that's as far as I've thought it through. But I think, you know, just once you because anyone in the NBA can beat pretty much anyone one on one. Um, and it's, it's more about the team defense. Uh, and so once the first guy is beat and the help comes, putting him in the position to have to choose between an easy dunk or an easy layup is just so valuable for for any team, really, as far as, you know, spacing and creating opportunities and angles. And then, you know, it, it can get a little more complicated if it helps coming from a different direction and you, you know, open up the three-point shot. And, you know, that's that's when you start to get into a real offense, which the Knicks haven't had this year. And I think just having that ability opens up a lot of that opportunity. And, you know, again, a lot of this is just my thoughts and trying to analyze it in my head. And I'd be interested to see what Tom, our actual analysis guy, has to say on the subject. No, I think those are those are really good points there. Like the, just the everything in the NBA happens so quickly. So like to be able to to force defenses to make those split second decisions like that's that's huge. Like that's you want defenses to have to make as many decisions as quickly as possible so that there's a higher chance of a, of a mistake of, the, of some sort of defensive lapse. And Mitchell Robinson definitely creates more panic from defenses like that you can just tell the way he rolls to the rim the way he rolls so so hard like he really sprints to the rim Enos Cantor kind of would would roll and, and meander his way and if he didn't get the ball right away he would sort of like sulk there for a bit it's a completely different situation but Mitch like he's constant motion right like he he gets to the rim if he doesn't get something he's going to go set a screen for someone right it's just that constant activity that he brings to the court that the cancer would just, he kind of felt entitled to the ball a lot of times. So if, if he didn't get it, he would, you know, throw his arms up in the air and sort of like give a look. And yeah, that, that sort of thing is no place on the court, but, but Mitchell Robinson forces defenses to just constantly be making decisions. And the more of those that happen, the more chances of a mistake. And I think you might've just kind of answered one of the things I was thinking about is my initial thought was Modern NBA, it's widely getting away from the post game, largely because it, you know, detracts from the spacing and it creates, it just puts a person in the middle. And I think part of what you're saying is that, you know, making the decision and, and you know, having to trace the player makes it more difficult to defend. Whereas if there's a guy just waiting in the post, then the defender is also just waiting in the post for you to come out or to come at him. So, you know, having the guy backtracking or trying to make a decision makes like creates that spacing, whereas sitting in the post takes away from it. And that's that's yeah. the problem I was trying to figure out internally. I mean, posting up straight up allows the defense to get to get set again and to yep. get ready for that post up. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost this different world where some of the quote unquote best post players like I think you could look at someone like Nikola Jokic who he's looking to pass out of the post and find the open shooter, um, which I, I think it's, it's funny. It's, it's the big man of the future. And I, I think that's another something that's interesting. And I, I want to do, I guess I'm going to cross sports a little bit, but um, with rookies, I, I, I kind of, this is, this isn't a hot take or something that's unknown, but I, I really bought into it this year that with rookies and young players, we see what, they can do and we acknowledge it and we like it and with Mitchell Robinson it's the lobs it's the block shots and then from there we kind of emphasize on the holes in their game I saw this with Miguel Andujar last year this guy had this incredible rookie season for the Yankees finished his second in the rookie of the year voting but everyone harps and harps on the fact that he can't play defense and I think it's it's interesting kind of with the second round expectations for Mitchell Robinson and what we expected from him we I, I said this on, on the Knicks Film School pod, but we came into this year not knowing if this guy was even going to be able to play NBA basketball. We didn't know if this guy was going to be like a G League kind of guy or whatever. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this manifests a little bit with, all right, so our guy can catch lobs, block shots, um, you know, just play solid defense in general. Uh, what what's kind of going to be the next ask from him? Do we do we want to see him take strides as a passer? Do we want him to develop a post game? Do we want this guy to you know start expanding his shot zone? And then from there, when he starts doing that, are we going to start focusing on that? 
or is everything bonus because he came in as a second round pick and we kind of like that story. And I, I think all he needs to do to be, you know, an extremely good uh, player in the NBA is just become a decent free throw shooting. And I know he's made strides lately, but if he can do that and stay on the court and just, you know, slowly get a little bit better at the things he's already shown promise at, then he's already a very good player in this league. And, you know, if he can make free throws and stay out of foul trouble, then he can stay on the court. And going back to what we were saying about Dotson, Frank is, or um, Mitch is another guy who can, you know, slide into, or as a role player, a very good team. And, you know, people talk about how the Lakers – you know, wanted Mitch and then Magic overruled them, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, you know, how badly would they like a guy like like Mitch to, you know, help the team both defensively and offensively with his ability to roll to the rim? Like, LeBron James would kill for that right now. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they paid JaVale McGee for that very reason. So, yeah, Mitchell Robinson is like a, a much better JaVale McGee at this point in his career. Uh, but one thing – to answer Jake's question a little bit, it's, it, it kind of answers it. But one thing I'm really looking for for him going forward to develop is on the perimeter as a defender. Because we all know how switching defenses are, are, are tough to beat in today's league uh, with all the high screen and roll action. A lot of teams are just trying to get switches on to, to force mismatches and, and to beat guys one-on-one. It's the Rockets' entire offensive scheme, and it's been wildly effective. So – one thing that's what you see in the playoffs all the time, and that's why guys like Rudy Gobert, like Joel Embiid, like um, like Jokic that Jake mentioned, they struggle in playoff situations because they really get targeted and attacked on defense. So if you're going to be a center in in future years in the league, like you need to be able to defend perimeter players, and and Robinson's shown the ability to do that. He he did get burned once tonight uh, by Jeff Teague. I, I saw he got switched onto him and he couldn't keep up, but that's just an area for development where if he can defend perimeter players in a pinch on a switch, then that, I mean, that makes him so much more valuable. It's, it's more valuable, I think, than, than certainly developing a a mid range jump shot. Like I just don't think that's going to really factor into his skill set. If he can switch onto perimeter players and and defend guards that then he can play in the playoffs and, and actually be an impact player. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom, because I, 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 I was going to say, obviously, I noticed because I'm, I'm the brightest guy you'll meet. Um, but I, I think it has been interesting that even these guys that are very well-respected defensively, Gobert, Joel Embiid, the last year's playoffs, they got taken advantage of. Um, it's crazy. These are, these are guys that are well-respected defenders. So I've, I'll be interested to watch this postseason, and we won't be watching the Knicks. If, if you didn't hear, we are eliminated. But um, it will be interesting to see if that was one year or if that will be a trend. Because um, if it's a trend, I think we could really see even more of a demise of the big man. I mean, those go Baron MD. Those are two of the most well-respected defensive guys uh, you'll see. So that's 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 a that's a really good thing to look out for, Tom. And that's thanks, a, man. Yeah. Well, not to talk bucks, but I know that's like a huge thing that people are looking at for for Milwaukee as the one seed, a lot of their offense does revolve around Brooke Lopez's ability to just, he stretches the floor like Ryan Anderson did back a couple of years ago. Like he's out to 30 feet, just bombing away. And he's been doing it very accurately, but you know, he can defend the rim really well because he's enormous, but he can't get out on the perimeter. So yeah, like that'll be another great example in the playoffs. See how teams approach attacking him. Yeah. But yeah, just that's talking bucks. That was talking books. Anything to add, Yannick? Anything to add? I don't know. I, uh, like I like I said to you guys before the podcast, I think we should just hype the fact that you guys went on those those other two podcasts. Yeah. I listened to them. You guys did a great job. I uh, I don't know that anyone matches up to the Talking Knicks crew in terms mm. of just pure fanhood, and you, we got a little bit of everything here, but. I think overall, you guys, you guys had some uh, had a solid time there, huh? Wow. Kenny, uh, 
firing shots over there. And Kenny and I, I think, are actually going to go meet up with a lot of those folks, the, the, the Locked On guys, the Knicks Film School guys. Uh, this upcoming Friday, there is a, a Garden of Dreams benefit uh, viewing party to <laughs> watching the Knicks play the Spurs at a bar near MSG. We'll be tweeting about it. So if you're interested in attending and you want to support a good cause, we'll, we'll follow our Twitter feeds at Talking Knicks. We'll, we'll give you the details. Wow, got the got the talking Knicks plug in there. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's 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 been fun. What do you, what do you got, Ken? I'll close with one more thought on Mitch, and it just crossed my mind, kind of as I was watching this game today. Is and I don't know who it was. It might have been Tom who said like the only reason to watch this team anymore is Mitchell Robinson. Might have been Greg. Either way, whoever said it, accurate, and it's <laughs> kind of to the point where. Like, I don't know if you guys remember early in um, KP's rookie season when, like, he was getting tip slams every couple games. And, like, that was a very exciting thing to watch. And I would tune in just to see if he got a tip slam. Like, Mitchell Robinson has become that kind of player as far as how exciting he is to watch. Like, I'll tune in just to watch him block three-point shots, just to watch him, you know, get a tip slam or throw down an alley-oop. Like, he is – like without without a doubt the most exciting player that they've had since you know KP and Mello a few years ago I like that little excitement in the garden besides people yelling at the owner um <laughs> yeah and it's uh I I appreciate it boys and yeah we we will be tweeting out that bar thing I'm I'm gonna be jealous of you boys that night I think it'll that'll be a fun time because I uh I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm curious to the conversation and how much of watching the actual Knicks Spurs game is. Although the Knicks do handle those Spurs well, uh, we saw, we saw that earlier this year. Um, fellas, this was fun, and I, I think that's the goal. And so, sometimes you can get lost in this Knicks team with with some of the bad stuff. But I, I we I think we covered it really well between Knox, Mitch, Rob, um, and of course Kenny, the number one James Dolan defender in the world. So. Um, the thing is, I, I'm not I'm not a big Dolan defender, but by defending him at all, I am the number one James Dolan defender. In the yeah, world. you're nuts. You're you're nuts for putting that out in the public. Um, but uh, well, uh, I, I was normally this is the reviews part. I'm not going to ask for reviews here. I already did it. But if you forgot, you could leave a five star review. Um, check out all the talking Nick stuff. We uh, uh, I. I don't know if I should be breaking this when it comes out tomorrow, but I think it's kind of official. We're, uh, we're updating the website. Um, the, uh, John, John boy media website, uh, the talking Knicks page, we'll have the podcast stuff posted there and it'll, it'll look nice, really nice. Um, and maybe we'll start getting some articles and stuff out there. I don't know. I, I haven't talked to you boys too much about it yet, but, uh, very, very clean, very sharp. So, um, Does- go check that out. Does dugout mugs do Nick's Nick's mugs? They do. They're shaped like a basketball. Yeah. And you have to drink out of it. I could talk to him about that, but I don't think so. I, um, I would appreciate that if you would bring that to their attention. Basketball mug. It's genius. Genius, Jerry. Um, all right, people. Thank you so much. Um, and it, most importantly, let's go next. Next day.